You're listening to Sugar House Sound. Thanks for listening to another special episode of Sugar House Sound. This is part of a series featuring guest lecturers to Westminster College. This episode is a conversation with Pup Amp from YouTube channel What's the Safe Word, Dr. Eileen Shanza-Torres from the Westminster English and Gender Studies Departments, and Westminster students Ryan LeRae and me, Levi Barrett. We discuss pop culture, queer and kink subtext in mainstream media, and what that all means in creating identity. I'm Levi Barrett. I am a senior at Westminster College. I am majoring in sociology and minoring in gender studies and art. Here's Pup Amp. I'm Pup Amp. I am an internet person or personality that works on spreading awareness for kink and LGBTQ plus related topics. I have a YouTube channel that I do with my best friend where we talk about sex and kink called What's the Safe Word? We just try to make sex less scary for people on the internet. Hi, I'm Eileen Chanza Torres. I am the chair of gender studies at Westminster College, and I like to scare people a little bit with, with sex and stuff. I'm Ryan. I'm a um, political science major with a minor in gender studies and justice studies. And yeah, sex is it's great. So thanks so much for coming, Amp. To elaborate a little bit on the panel last night, it was went really well. We had a great panel of academics and sexperts, and y'all can find that online in a little bit. It's the sex politics panel. So one of the questions we didn't get to last night was, what does it mean to promote a sex positive attitude in your work? And what are the special challenges posed by your specific audiences? So I think especially for my audience and what I talk about online, we're talking about kinks. We're talking about something that is generally scary for people that don't understand it. And we're talking about sex and sex is a big taboo for some people in some cultures and parts of society, we put sex on everyone else's bodies and we talk about sex as a very distant, separate part of our own beings. And being that I was raised very religiously, sex was taboo. We didn't talk about it. Anytime a child asked about it, it was a very stigmatizing reaction. And the adults were always very much like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about sex as pleasure. And so especially with kink, we get a lot of people that come at sex and kink as a negative, as people that are broken or have some sort of mental disability or their mental state's not stable. And so we, we look to make sex fun and we look to make each kink its own story. I've said it a lot this weekend, so I'm going to continue beating, (laughs) for lack of a better term consensually, this idea that we're making fun with people, not at people, because the second you make that topic relatable, you're making jokes about pop culture or just jokes about, for instance, I think one of my favorites has been our ABDL episode, and ABDL stands for adult baby or diaper lover. It's adults and consenting people that like to wear diapers or like to mess around and play with age play. And so we were making jokes like people that are into ABDL are really pampered, you know, because that's a it's a type of diaper. Or we'd say, well, it kind of depends where you're coming from and depends again is another diaper. It's just, it's making these jokes that 
the community is not going to be offended by it. And they weren't. They were super supportive because we were making fun with them and not at them. And we were making this sex and this kink something that could be digested easier. And I think there is so much negativity around it that you just have to make it fun. And so for me, my, my job to make a, a habitable space, a relatable space is to make it fun and make jokes that don't put people in a negative spotlight, but make them laugh, whether you're into the kink or not. Typically in pop culture, especially with the number one that everyone knows, which is Fifty Shades of Grey. Can you talk a little bit more on how you try to shift discussions and change attitudes around kinks? With Fifty Shades of Grey, for instance, it is something that was a pop culture hit. It was something that brought light to kinks. Whether that was a good or a bad light kind of depended on how you digested and you understood or processed it. And I think that it brings new people to our community. So whether we have a visceral reaction of, ooh, that's really bad representation of kink, or or how we express that is very important because it might be bringing new people to the community that will take the, the good, the very little good that was there because it, I personally think it was a very abusive form of kink. The consent was not very heavily focused on. It was the sex and the fantasy of Fifty Shades of Grey that people really enjoyed. And people that enjoy that that stimulation will hopefully look into it more in depth and actually educate themselves on consent and what that means and how to form a kink relationship and how to negotiate. And so rather than say, ooh, you guys are wrong, don't look at Fifty Shades of Grey as any sort of resource, we looked at it, we actually did an episode where we talked about what good was in Fifty Shades of Grey. Is this going to bring new people to the community that will make a positive change? And then we also talked about, well, this is the stuff we disagree with. We're not going to say that, that that it's completely invalid and wrong and, and shut people down. But we're just going to say, like, this is a part that we didn't feel so good about. And we we called it fucked up. You know, Fifty Shades of Fucked Up, I think, was the, the title we went with because it was something that grabbed an attention of someone. And it made them think and it made them feel. And then that's where we start having that conversation. And we don't say that you are wrong completely, but we disagree with certain parts and we have a conversation from there. Speaking of Fifty Shades of Great, I mean, I, as someone who teaches pornography on many levels, not only just on film, but also more traditional forms of erotica and more historical terms. So, you know, as someone who works with the art of sex in a very particular way, my bone to pick with Fifty Shades of Grey was that it was a piece of shit. I mean, it was a piece of shit of art. It wasn't, it was it's not even art, right? And yet at the same time, I'm not going to say who, but someone who's very close to me was reading these novels and is someone who I, I adore and she's brilliant. I, of course, said, well, if you want erotica, I could give you good erotica. Like, <laughs> I got erotica. And so, you know, she, of course, right away rejected and was like, no, it's going to be one of your horrible, tragic novels. I don't want to read that. I just want to have fun. At one point, her beautiful son, we were at the bookstore to get her a book for her birthday. And he's he's tiny. He's a, he's a baby, right? He's little. And he's like, what is that trilogy that mommy likes? And I was like, what trilogy? And he's like, 50. And I was like, oh, God, no. Um, and so as soon as I told her, she's like, oh, shit, I got to read all this stuff. And it was... <laughs> For me, it was this moment of like wanting to, of course, promote the beauty of erotica and the beauty of pornography, 
through the critique of how badly written those texts are. They're just badly written. So we don't even, I can't even get into the argument about consent and the argument about just how boring the damn novel is because it's just page one. I was like, oh, this is just, does she have an editor? <laughs> like, what the hell happened? And I think even getting before, as Pup Amp said, even getting to before how problematic and troublesome it was for the community because of the issues with consent, for me, I was just like, no, step one is like, I can't get past page one. Right, like as someone who reads, reads a lot, it was just a piece of crap of work. And I think to ignore the work that you do, Pup Amp, to ignore that, the, that there's one, a lot of labor that goes into it, and two, there's an art form to it, was really problematic for me. And I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about the art form of BDSM or the art of kink. I don't know if you wanna tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So. I want to first like touch on the whole Fifty Shades of Grey and other trilogies and how we like access and digest media. I think that we romanticize a lot of things about media. Fifty Shades of Grey, we were romanticizing BDSM and kink, but we weren't really critically thinking about how it was being processed. Recently, especially in something that kind of hit a nerve with me, is the romanticizing of Beauty and the Beast and that movie itself, and how some people had a super visceral reaction to having gay visibility in the movie that just came out, the live action, and there were tons of people, there was like 100,000 people signing this petition online before the movie had even come out because there was visibility at all. We were romanticizing almost this Stockholm Syndrome relationship that Beauty and the Beast had, and that she was falling in love with her captive, and that there wasn't really any consent there, but she was almost like forced into it. And so we're, we're romanticizing parts of this, but we're against visibility in other areas. And I think that that's something that society has a problem with in general, especially with things like Fifty Shades of Grey. To follow up with that, with your question on how we pose a question or how we form an episode, uh, we usually find something that is underrepresented or somewhat relevant at the time. And we say, is this gonna be something that will start a conversation? So for puppy play, which is a, an animal role play, a lot of people have a very negative reaction right away. There's bestiality, you know, you're, you're normalizing having sex with animals. Well, to draw a parallel, is that not what Beauty and the Beast is kind of doing in a way? She's falling in love with someone who's very bestial in, in characteristics and very animalistic. And while I was, you know, getting some stimulation from the beast in that movie, because I mean, he was very handsome, regardless of being a beast or not, I'm not into animals you know i am into that role play i'm into that headspace and so we try to make it relatable we try to find a common ground by using humor by using self-deprecating humor especially because that makes the hate and the spewed comments that come our way there's less ammo there when we're already making fun of ourselves. And then we find a way to find a common ground. So making jokes about dogs or making jokes about animal role play that people can find some sort of truth or some sort of parallels with. And so we're making jokes about bones or making jokes about, you know, fetching things or making jokes about how rough of a topic it is and using puns to, to make people laugh and just make it fun because... Sex should be fun. Sex should be pleasurable. Sex should be about 
doing something that you really enjoy and can reflect on and say, what does this say about me? And how does this make me a complex person that has wants and needs and interests? And then we write a script. Some jokes are planned for, um, others happen in the moment. And then that real reaction of us being like, oh, that was a joke, that was a pun. We are reacting to it on camera and we are getting a reaction from people. I love watching and showing videos in person because we never get that back and forth. The, the media that we are presenting is a one-way communication and we make jokes about it all the time. Like right now we're making jokes and we're talking about subjects and we're not able to actually hear from the people in the moment but it's really nice to see people react to those jokes and actually have a reaction and see people go oh okay huh like i'm not into this but the way in which we present it i hope they're able to say i'm stimulated maybe not in my pants but at least in my brain like in my head like there's something going on there that's making me think and go okay I'm turned on by these things, maybe not this specific topic that these people are into, but I can draw a parallel that my kinks do this for me and those kinks do that for them. So let's celebrate each other's sexuality. I actually want to ask you a question about desire and attraction, right? You mentioned Beauty and the Beast, the live action film, and desire with the Beast is really interesting to me. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. When I was young, I used to watch Thundercats. (laughs) And so, you know, I grew up religious. I grew up Catholic, but I grew up Catholic in the Caribbean. So it's a little different than Catholic in the U.S., a little closer to what you will find maybe in New Orleans, but not not outside of that, right? Mostly because of the African influences, right? We were really praying to African deities and not uh, the Judeo-Christian European version of that. But Thundercats, as a kid, I freaking love that show. And Though for those folks who actually love Thundercats, maybe they want to turn it off and they don't see them as sexual characters. But Lionel, right, like he was the the lion. And the show always started with Lionel just just all of them throwing themselves around as really muscular, humanized animal bodies. And then of course he will go Thundercat, you know, Thunder, Thunder, Thunder. Yeah, you keep going with that thunder, and each thunder, his very phallic sword grew and grew, and oh boy, still growing, right? And so his hair is like, his mane is like flowing all over the place, and there are all these other beautiful... There was a female character there that I never paid attention to. I was just like Lionel and Panther. (laughs) Lionel and Panther, and yeah, that's it. Anyway, but... As a child, certainly, I did not have the language to know that I was being sexually stimulated. So that difference between the the mind and the pants, like I didn't know, and I certainly wasn't masturbating to it, right? But there's something about, I probably if I watch it now, I probably laugh, but there was something about it then that was very stimulating. And in a really problematic way, especially because if we think about the word bestiality, which is not what I'm referring to and you're not referring to, and homosexuality, specifically with men, right? There's that danger of equating one with the other. And folks who are, you know, homophobic, queerphobic, hate sex, I'm assuming, always make that connection and always accuse homosexuality of being bestiality and also pedophilia, which is 
all wrong, but in a really strange way. I'm, I'm recognizing that that's wrong, but in a really strange way, I feel like the pop culture that I grew up with, and also just the way that my brain work made me or somehow allowed me to have an access to understanding sexualities yeah. in these really strange ways, right? Like. Yes, today as an adult, I don't think I will turn back and I don't even want to watch Thundercats because I don't want that memory to be ruined, right, of me as a child watching it. But there was something about me being able to desire Lionel and then to always kind of want Lionel and, and the other male characters to get it on. Like there was something about that taught me something about my own sexuality and also taught me something about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And I think... There's something really interesting about that notion of desire and when art steps in and both points to that desire, like the beast in Beauty and the Beast, right? And how you mentioned, well, that's Stockholm Syndrome. Like, why is she sticking around? Like, there's no consent there, right? It's all manipulation. There are these moments of danger, and I'm not sure if I'm being clear about that connection of, yeah, there's something really sexy about these human-like animals who are then playing, at least in my mind, the way that I read it, and I'm not unique in this, very tiltillating men having sex, right? And I'm a cis woman. And so for me, that shit is tiltillating. But yet there's that danger of speaking about it in a way that then says, oh, that's bestiality. Are you saying gay men are into bestiality? And then you are putting yourself in that position of like, I can't even talk about the art without having to talk about these histories of oppression and these histories of like negative sex but also through homophobia well let me start by saying i I always called him lion oh because he (laughs) you know he he did things for me um but also i mean his his tagline you know thunder 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 thundercats ho was very I mean, he's calling everyone a hoe, essentially, which is, I don't appreciate that line. No, that was very offensive. But there is that anthropomorphized, and which is a kink, like there's a community around it. Furries are a thing, and I have lots of furry friends, and they are super great people, but they're not all sexual. Some of them are very sexual in their play, and some of them are not. But we also have Disney to thank for that in a lot of respects. I mean, Disney's Robin Hood, lots of, lots of human animal characteristics being like back and forth there and there's so much that's I don't want to use the word romanticized again but there's so much that is relatable there and the characteristics of the characters are so endearing and fun you can't help but love and want to draw parallels there at the same time and I feel like Disney's going to come for us for this episode but you have movies like Aladdin where he's in a brothel at one point there's songs like I Can Show You the World which is very sexual there are movies like The Lion King again you're getting animals with lots of human characteristics with songs like I Can Feel the Love Tonight which you know is about like having sex and procreating and kids don't know that but there's a song that they're singing now and it's I mean it's bringing sex up you know and then kids are like well what is what are they feeling you know, how do you how do you tell a kid that that's not maybe ready to talk about sex but but you you, you need to have that conversation eventually and then you have Zootopia which all of my furry friends were very excited about when they heard about it. There was a good year and a half where the hype was just like very sexual for them because they were like, oh my God, animalistic, anthropomorphized, furry movie from from Disney. But then you had a lot of people that were very negative on it. And then fast forward, I mean, this movie has an Academy Award. It has a Golden Globe. It had a Critics' Choice Award. It's getting notified and getting popularized because it was funny and relatable 
And where do we draw the line as far as if something's super sexual or if something just has tropes to it? And I use the word trope a lot because for those that don't know, a trope is kind of like a theme within a movie or a, a type of character like the, the gay best friend is a trope. Being you know, tied down to the railroad tracks is a trope. And for some people, the tied down to the railroad tracks does something. So tropes, especially in television, movies, pop culture, I know a lot of animated television growing up for me made me feel things. Like when characters were abducted or kidnapped or put into like stocks or just tied up, like that did something for me and it it helped me to find my kinks growing up. And so I always talk about tropes and ask people, well, what tropes do you see? Like the old Gargoyles television show, I have friends that are huge on like petrification or even like being immobilized. I have friends that are super into like transformation fetishes, so like Animorphs growing up. I read the shit out of those books. Like it did things for me, whether it was in my pants or not at that age, but it it stimulates you and it gets you talking about kinks and tropes and sexuality. So kind of coming back to like what these I guess they're not meant to be sexual films and TV shows, right? I'm dating myself. When I was a kid living in Puerto Rico, for some reason, the TV show Gotcha Men, which is a Japanese cartoon, was very popular. And so I would watch this, and very much like Thundercats, it was five main characters, and they always had a girl. No one paid attention to the girl. And what was, if you actually want to look it up, the characters are drawn in a very European, Americanized way. Later was G-Force, Gotcha and G-Force are related. And it was 70s style clothing. So when they were outside of their costumes, and I'll talk about their costumes for a second, they were like long hair, kind of hippies with like bell bottoms. And I was like, oh, gross. And, you know, this is in the 80s. And so when I watched them in costume and they were all bird-like, right? They were all eagles. The relationship between the men, because female characters are so marginalized and they were just there just to have one character and she was pretty and she had long hair, right? Who, you know, I never cared for those characters. I never cared for the way that female characters were so limited in their representation. But yet with male characters, you know, even if you watch Thundercats, and again, I haven't come back to watch any of that. Um... But I did go back to watch Catchman because a friend of mine posted it on Facebook. And then I went down that, you know, YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> but it was so erotic, right? And so at one point, their superpower, they kind of made like those cheerleader triangles where like not triangle pyramids and so like there'll be three at the bottom two and then one on the top and then they will turn 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 listen it was freaking weird but it was again little Eileen <laughs> being a child could not possibly name that as sexual and erotic but certainly it shaped it and I think in a really strange way, even though it was promoting masculinity, it was promoting a masculinity that was already queered for me. And so while straight porn has a lot of lesbian scenes in it, right, I think particularly my generation, if they want to be honest, we were always being taught to desire masculinity, right? So it's no surprise gay male porn is consumed for the most part by nice straight ladies, right? I'm not one of those, not the nice part. <laughs> but like, yeah, seeing two men go at it or three or four or five, right? I think for me as a thinker it was very much connected to watching these kids shows, right? And always having the female character watch because they were always just there as spectators to the wonderful 
erotic romance that was happening. And I think, you know, if we want to reflect on how art sneaks in, concept of queer identities and broadens our sexuality. For my generation, it was very coded and very hidden. But for today's generation, especially because Levi, you and my niece have both introduced me to Steven Universe. And, you know, I love my niece, but she sends me like a gazillion videos to watch. And I'm sitting there going, can't watch all of this. And so when I go see you in the summer, we will watch all these things. And I kind of had like in the back of my mind, we're going to watch Steven Universe. We're going to watch Steven Universe. And then when Levi and I started working together, Levi is my research assistant. And we work, we have worked and have a couple of projects still on the line that we have to finish before you graduate and leave me. Steven, we started watching Steven Universe and it's, it was such a revelation to watch openly queer and openly romantic queer relationships, also queer non-romantic relationships also be presented. And I was like, fuck that. I was fucking cheated. I was cheated <laughs> because y'all have this wonderful language. And all I could think of was like, Thundercats, Thundercats. Uh, oh. yeah. and y'all get this like wonderful lovely songs and like all this wonderful like play and I'm like oh crap I got cheated but I'm very happy about uh, the way that we see that we see these wonderful political moments in art that are kind of hidden and I think maybe Levi you want to talk a little bit about Steven Universe and what it did for your generation and well you're a little old for Steven Universe right but certainly what it means yeah, well, like demographically, I might be a little old for um, the audience that Steven Universe is going for. It's definitely really popular amongst people out of the supposed age range, even ranging to, I think, like upper 20s, 30s. Everyone, everyone should watch Steven Universe. It is a wonderful show. But so just a little bit about it. It's a animated show about these aliens who are gems and so these aliens have humanistic bodies that are kind of light transformations of their gem selves and the revolutionary queer aspect is that while all of the these gems have female presenting bodies they're also non-binary and go by she her pronouns so it's it's really awesome bringing in that gender non-conformity when the gems fuse they they transform into this different self, a combination of the two. And that really identifies with me as, as a trans guy and someone who's gender nonconforming. That like physical morphing really opens up a whole new concept of like possibility with what my embodiment can look like, what my queerness can look like in a, in a whole new imaginative world where just being in the physical and not having these access to these animated films or even like Transformers or something like that where there's even in like when I was younger and for our more millennial generation having those morphing and queer representations really allows for more imagination whether you know it then or not like just really identifying with some aspect of it deep down you can figure out later but it really it's really great for that helpful first step in being comfortable and so touching on like steven universe and and shows like that that now exist i know growing up there were not tons of shows that had prominent cisgendered gay men 
for me to relate to. And so in this new media, in this new age of media where YouTube is its own platform to make things, I think that that helps us to build habitable spaces and helps us with visibility, which is really important. And because there's more visibility and because it's more relatable for people, it's easy to say to like parents, for example, hey, there's this Steven Universe show, watch it with your kids. I, I think that it's not only fun and interesting and colorful, but also provides good representations of different types of genders, sexualities, spectrums that exist there. And that's going to help you build a, a more positive relationship, hopefully with your kids, but also just help you educate yourself, you know? So like what, what other TV shows do you think just as someone who doesn't watch TV or traditional media, what, what's out there for people just to help them? I'm going to take it back to the seventies and eighties. Okay. So living in Puerto Rico, we, what was dubbed in Spanish, right? And what we access, you know, we're a colony. So everything is kind of dictated by the United States. But I feel like that Steven Universe, the, the creation, not the creation, but arriving at Steven Universe, because Steven Universe also has a concern for the earth and the protection of the earth. Gotchman had that also, and to a certain extent, so did Thundercats, right? But I want to talk a little bit about representations of female bodies and femininity. There was a TV show created in Japan, and it was called Candy Candy, right? And it was this horrible TV show that I watched way too much as a kid. And if we want to talk about race here for a second, Gotchman with Thundercats was a little different, but in a racialized kind of problematic way. But Gotchman, like the characters look Europeanized, right? They were very white. And Candy, which was again produced in, came out of a Japanese novel and it was produced, it's, it's a Japanese export, right? She was blonde and had like, you know, emerald green eyes and she had freckles. And this show that I watch, because that's all we really had, aside from the good ones, Gatchman and um, then the cast wasn't up yet, but it was very traditional female storylines. So she was an orphan and as the story progresses, she's of course trying to access the upper class, right? Because that's all we really want. We want to marry well and we want to get up there. And it was just really horrible. Why would I prefer candy? <laughs> Gotchaman when you had all these sexy like again at that age I couldn't name it as sexy but I certainly was reacting to it as that and Candy was just an awful TV show but I watched it anyway because I am a huge consumer of the TV I love the TV but also I mean I think you could assume that with a name like Candy they're they're going for a certain appeal of sex or sweetness uh, there, there's definitely a subtlety there yes and to balance that out and this came a little later because candy was actually in the 70s and again what you got in puerto rico and what you got in like the caribbean latin america was a little later because again not because we were behind times but because of the export and import rules laws set up by the united states right uh, and it was also japan right and we talk about the 70s but there was gem and the holograms so you see, Gem and the Holograms had actually a Latina character in it. I fucking hated that show too. <laughs> I wanted, like, I don't, maybe it's just the way that my brain is wired that I never found those storylines attractive because they always ended up centering on very heteronormative leanings towards, well, there was always a guy, right? There was always a guy. And I'm like... <laughs> And the bad girl had dark hair and I had black hair, right? And there was a Latina there, but she was really like 
kind of buried and like her Latinidad was not actually explored. But wouldn't it have been great if that show had had more like sexual tension between these female characters? And as a kid, again, I couldn't have named that. I'm recognizing that fully. But it never appealed to me. It was just some crap you watched because there was nothing else on the TV. And I was a latchkey kid. And I'm not sure if that's a term that young folks know. But a latchkey kid is like your parents cannot afford <laughs> babysitting, right? Or cannot afford after school care. And they, you know, it's usually for working class, you know, it happens to working class folks. And living, I, we after my family migrated to the United States, we ended up in New York City. And so you had a latchkey on the door. And so your babysitter was the TV and that latch key, right? And I lived in a shitty, shitty, violent, poor neighborhood that was also wonderful and beautiful in many other ways. But my mother depended on that latch key to keep me and my sister safe, right? Anyway, I watched a ton of TV and I still do. Like I want the TV on 24 seven, even when I'm sleeping. I feel like I could consume things that way. But I was really disappointed. But then I was talking to a friend and he is a gay male identifier. Uh, he's cis and gay and he goes what are you fucking talking about that tv show was fabulous gem and the holograms and i was like mm, no it was yucky like i couldn't identify with any of those characters and what's powerful for me in that moment and i want pup Pam to talk a little bit more about that notion of identification and um ryan and, and levi also was that in a very similar way that I argue, because I teach porn, that porn allows you to do is that I was identifying with these large, muscular, masculine representations and both not my gender, but my sexuality, right, was being shaped by that. And then later when I was reflecting on the way that I was performing, when I realized that I was performing, that femininity is something that you perform, then suddenly I was like, oh, I am not a girly girl, right? I will never be a girly girl. And I need to stop trying that. And so in ways in which cartoons work for me, I think also porn works that way. And I want to open it up to talk a little bit more about, and maybe this is extremely perverse, and I love it, I love that, but that connection, us as adults, <laughs> to make those connections between that representation on TV and you know cartoons, and then that later representation I don't know. Don't confess to shit you don't want people to know of when you engage with porn in that moment of identification. I, I've been having a thought. It's not about cartoons, but it's about identification and femininity. So, you know, I've been thinking about the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And there's, I mean, it's incredibly religious, right? So, I mean, there's very much so like a sacrifice and a crucifixion of Aslan who is god right and then a resurrection right he comes back to life but there's also like this like very much like oh why would i ever leave the closet if there's a fucking world in the closet like i'm not coming out like there's all this shit in the closet you kidding so there's that but particularly the way that women are represented in the film so you know there's there's lucy who's the youngest daughter right and you know she has that naivete and this innocence about her and you know she also has this, like this very strong connection to this like bulky like handsome lion who is jesus christ right which to me that like as i've always reflected on that as like an adult like that's so mary magdalene and what are we saying about this young kid who is like 10 as mary magdalene right and there's a scene where her and her older sister susan who's like the more intellectual one right are being ravished by him like you know like he's like jumping over them they're like rolling around and then there's the other you didn't you didn't watch this it, it's not a disney film it's not a disney film but then, you know, there's the other, because I mean, there's, there's very limited representations of 
femininity, but then also like of women. And I mean, with that, there's also the very particular way that they, the dichotomy that they present different types of animals. So there's like, there's the animals that are like on the good side with Jesus Christ. And those are like eagles. Those are like these like wilder beasts, not wilder beasts. These are like centaurs. These are like these like just like very like when you think of them, like they're supposed to be like noble and high up. But then on the other side of it, the evil creatures are like the goblin, the cyclops, the wilder beasts. There's wolves, but then there's a fox that's good. So there, there there's that. But then the representation of queerness through the witch, right? So, I mean, that that's a very easy direction, especially because, I mean, C.S. Lewis in the novel, like, this is very much, like, a religious-based argument, right? She's a witch, and there's no way that you cannot relate that to that, the uh, representations of wickedness in the Bible. But there's, and, and you know, she's, she's also the temptress, right? So she pulls off it, because there's a Judas moment, right? There has to be a Judas moment where... One of the brothers, you know, portrays everybody. And then he has to be accepted back by Aslan, right? Jesus has to forgive him. And so she she tempts him. And there's a very particular thing of, like, portraying, you know, what is essentially supposed to be Satan as a woman. But then there's also a ravishment of the witch by Aslan, right? At the end, uh, near the end, before they, like, have their celebration that they won and life goes on in the closet, Aslan, he roars and everything goes still. And, that, and then he tackles her and he's just ravishing her face and like he's just biting at her face and then she's gone so there's very much this consumption of this femininity of this of this queer representation right because i mean she's a witch she has been tempting these folks but when i was watching this film i had always oh this is gonna sound awful i always wanted to be the witch I always wanted to be the witch. And maybe that was like my way of rejecting like Catholicism and like Jesus Christ, <laughs> like seeing it in Aslan. But then like I was also like so attracted to Aslan, right? Like he's this very like, I mean, when he comes on the mountain, like the, the sky opens up, there's like light from his back and he's in the, oh, that's the other thing. They ride him like there when he's going to go sacrifice himself to save to save Judas right to save Esmond the two the two uh daughters ride him all the way there and then he drops him off like now it's my time to sacrifice myself and you know it's it's so clear that he's all powerful he's all knowing like he he can make shit stop he can make the world go fast he can make trees talk but he he allows he allows for himself to die for the the betrayer and this is also what's enough i always read my brother as the betrayer but there's something there about the the portrayal of femininity in the film right because you are either this naivita young woman who is also you know mary magdalene or you are this emotionless knowledge-based woman who is the older the older da- the older daughter Susan, or you're the temptress, you're you're Satan, um, and that 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 representation is inherently a queer one, right? She she's never, she, I mean, she doesn't, it, yeah, it's, it's a queer representation. So I, I think there's there's something there about when we're talking about how we're portraying and identifying with these characters, like specifically feminine characters, because when I was watch- growing up and watching cartoons, I always identified with the feminine character, always. And what what it means when the representation is either you're the naive little girl who will do anything to protect Jesus Christ, you're emotionalist, or you are Satan. One, one quick thing about Jesus and being raised Catholic. For me, as a, as a, as someone who's being raised Catholic, I couldn't identify with any of the Marys because they were dressed from head to toe. And I've talked about this quite a lot with my students, but for me, Jesus is like one of the greatest gay icons, simply for the fact that he's on the cross, right? And 
you know, again, I was raised Catholic and I haven't let go. I don't think you can ever let go completely of your religious upbringing. So I might be struck by lightning. So that might happen anyway. But Jesus, when I went to church and it still happens to me, whenever I walk into a Catholic church, I am filled with like really fucked up sexual scenes in my mind. And I'm like, shit that I won't even want to do. Like, I'm like, oh, gosh, shit. Oh, damn, Jesus. Like, like just fucked up shit that was happening. And it's always male people that it's happening to. It's not, you know, you know, male like identified like it's never to women because we're dressed from head to toe. Like our hair is covered. There's not even there's nothing showing. Right. But Jesus in all his glory is on the cross literally nailed we see his abs he's all cut and then we see his bulge we have his bulge for us right and so again maybe this is the way that my brain was wired not that I wanted to be crucified (laughs) but I walked into the this is this is one of the side things of patriarchy that perhaps they're not thinking about is that I got to I was being taught in the church to, yes, praise God and praise Jesus, but in a way that also sexualized them for me. And I think it sexualized it for a lot of people. So Jesus, again, with his abs and his bulge was all I could see. And at the same time, I was being told not to think about sex. Right. And I think that's really interesting to think about ways in which our brains are wired and make us actually step outside of that forced construct of identity. I'm supposed to be a girly girl. I'm supposed to be very feminine. But yet all I could think about and all I could fantasize was and again, in the church, it was just really fucked up shit. I I will never want to do. But I was just like, oh, wouldn't that be terrible? But it just it led me to that. Right. It, It overwhelmed my senses in that sense. So now that we've lost all brands, Disney, uh, religion, we've polarized the entire audience with some of the topics. Uh, (laughs) I think the question is, like, what makes media sexual and what makes representation important? And where where does media go from here? And there's no there's no right or wrong answer, I don't think, because everyone's representation and and kind of interpretation and how you think Jesus is very sexual. And I think being a Catholic person, Jesus is very non-sexual i'm completely turned off when i see jesus but that doesn't mean that your representation and your interpretation of that is wrong because we're all entitled to our opinions except for some people (laughs) so i just want to thank both the bastion diversity lecture series asw and ben poke for bringing pup amp to our campus they were very gracious with their monies and also michael sanders for connecting us to pup amp and how wonderful it was to have both you know academics folks in the field folks in the community all talking about the wonders of sex well thank you guys for having me and and having so many great questions i know this is only one part of i think two that we're going to be doing but if you have any questions or even want to reach out or have a conversation. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. You can follow me on pup underscore amp on just about every social media. And uh, I look forward to talking with you guys. So thank you guys again for having me. And I'll let you sign off. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again, Amp, for joining us. Catch us up in a little bit for more on sex positivity, maybe some discussion on porn and more. Thanks so much. See ya. Thundercats. Oh.